Deuteronomy chapter number six. We will begin reading in verse number four, which is, of course, what the Jews refer to as the Shema. It is, it is perhaps the most famous of scripture, uh, at least for the Jewish people who repeat it uh, every day and have it very close to their hearts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And two amens is just insufficient for, for the Shema. Let's try this again. Amen. I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, hear, O Oceanside. The Lord our God is one Lord. Any one God apostolics in the house today? Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. But not only your heart. Verse 7 is key today. And thou shalt teach them. Teach what? The laws of God. The ways of God. The word of God. Thou shalt teach them diligently. That word is, is very particular to this verse. It, there is a passion. There is an energy. It's not just teaching a kid to tie his shoes properly. It's not just teaching your child how to use a fork and a knife but to diligently teach is to take extra care and take extra attention pay extra attention teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them ostensibly to those children when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up it's quite a commandment here it doesn't say, you know, try to take two or three minutes a day to do this. It doesn't say, I mean, it's talking about Brother Rocky even when you want to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> Everywhere you go, at all times, diligently teach them to our children. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. My title today is, Sounds Very Alarming, and it is. It sounds frightening, and it is. It sounds scary, and, and it is. I've come to preach with God's help today on this subject. They are coming after our children they are coming after our children amen I'm not just preaching to the dodies today I'm preaching to everyone that is a mom or dad here today would you put your Bibles down would you ask God to help the word of God to get deep in your heart today so you can be the mom the dad that God wants you to be would you do that today come on lift your voice saints of God everybody even on live stream today in your living room, in your car, wherever you're at, you're at today. God, would you help your word today to get into my heart? Would you help my spirit to be right? Help us, God, to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word today. 
God, I'm asking for a special anointing to be upon not just me, but upon every saint of God in this place, every mom and dad. Oh, God, we have a great and grave responsibility to our children to raise them in the fear and the ways of God. Help us today to hear your word and to heed your ways. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, everybody shout amen. You can be seated today. God bless you. The Bible makes it exceedingly clear that children are gifts from God. Without any question, our children, even if they're not in almost 60-year-old dresses, all of our children are gifts from the Almighty God. And as such, they are extraordinarily valuable and they are extraordinarily precious to us as moms and dads. I want us to put aside for a moment the diaper stage. I want you to forget about sickness in the middle of the night. I want you to forget about for a few moments all the sleepless nights. I want you moms to forget about the mountains of laundry. Forget about 5,000 wipes a day that kids seem to go through. Man, I wish I would have invested in Huggies or something. I, Being around the Bohannons in Lincoln, it's like they go through... Thousands of wipes every few moments. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Forget about the nightmare of trying to push a grocery cart down the cereal aisle at the supermarket without kids flinging their bodies physically towards the Fruit Loops or the Lucky Charms, demanding, insisting. They're going to throw a fit if you don't give them their favorite family size box of, of, of sugar bombs or whatever it is. Forget about... The fact that kids, you buy them new clothes and, and brand new clothing only lasts four or five days before they've outgrown them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I have three children. I, I know what I'm talking about today. Forget about later on in, in life as they grow up, the high cost of car insurance. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I promise you, you will one of these days. I don't know if they think our children are just maniacs on the road and we're going to get in an accident every other weekend or they're going to get in an accident. But the high price of, of college tuition, there's a lot. Put aside all of that for a few moments today and, and let's focus on the fact that our children are gifts from the almighty God and really, truly blessings from above. Amen. Both testaments of your Bible make that very clear that that children are a blessing from the Lord. In Psalms 127, verse 3 to 5, the Bible says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man. Not always in the middle of the night, I understand. But happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Now, somebody said a quiver full, Brother Kyle, is 13. I read somewhere, heard somewhere from a Bible scholar that, so you've got a little ways to go, my friend. But whether it's 13 kids or you've just got the American dream 2.6 or whatever it is, the Bible says that happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You have enough kids, they're going to pick a good retirement home for you one of these days. That's called real investing right there. Go to school. Get a good job because daddy needs a good retirement home, hopefully near a golf course in this case. But 
They'll speak with the enemies in the gates. You have 13 of them. Your boys, broad and strong and young, they can go out and they can say, don't mess with my mom and dad. That's what that's talking about. They're going to speak with your enemies in the gates. There's joy, there's happiness, there's pleasure, there's benefit in having children. In Mark chapter 10, verse number 13 to 16, it speaks of a very a real powerful moment. We skip by it, but let's not do that today. A, 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 a powerful moment in the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ when it says, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. You can just see it in your mind's eye. The disciples, maybe they didn't have kids or maybe they had 13 kids and were like, I'm done with kids. Get away from Jesus. We got important stuff going on. The disciples are pushing the kids away, hopefully not physically. CPS will be all over them from Jerusalem. But, but get away from Jesus. This is not your moment. Go back to the playground. Go back to whatever you were doing. But the Bible says his disciples rebuke those that brought them but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. The superlative of much is added. It wasn't just he was upset. He was very upset. He said, time out, boys. This is not what, I'm, that what makes me happy for you to push these parents and these children away. The Bible says he said unto them, suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, the children, put his hands upon them and blessed them. Jesus had a children's ministry going on. Oh, he had important things to do. He had blind eyes to open and deaf ears to unstop and lepers to cleanse. But Jesus said, no, 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 nothing is more important. In fact, you better be like a little kid if you want to come into my kingdom. You have to have that kind of innocence and faith and belief. But Jesus took the time, though he had limited amount of time on this earth, he brought the children and rebuked his disciples. And the Bible says he took them up in his arms and Blessed the children. He further, Jesus does, establishes his care, his concern for children, of course, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew 18 and 6, Mark 9, 42, and Luke 17 and 2. He makes it clear in no uncertain terms does the Lord that, that he says, he says, this is how we ought to treat children. And I was reading this this week and I thought, man, to be honest with you, I wish this was still in place in our system of laws and punishment today. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 18 and 6. He said, but whoso shall offend, literally hurt or harm, one of these little ones which should believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Tell us how you really feel, Jesus. He says anybody that is going to harm or hurt or, 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 or do violence to a child, offend a child, it, was, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and for you to be tossed from a boat into the depths of the ocean. Now, a millstone was actually two massive stones, one of which the top one would be the grinding stone. And they would tie a donkey 
to a tether to that top grinding stone. And that donkey would go around in circles and one stone would spin and the grain would be like a, like a grain sandwich, if you would, the stones being the bread. And the grain would be, would be pestled or, or would be crushed or would be turned into flour by the weight of that stone that was turning. That donkey was a beast of burden. They say that those millstones, Bible scholars say they could weigh anywhere from 300 to 3,300 pounds. Depending on if it was a community millstone or a personal millstone. But let's just go with the low end of the spectrum. Jesus said it's better for you to attach a 300 pound stone around your neck and jump into Lake Dixon. Jump off the end of the pier and be certainly drowned than for you to, to harm or offend or hurt a little child. So the Bible makes it clear, exceedingly clear, that our children are a gift from God and that as such that they are valuable and they are precious and they are to be protected at any cost, period. But the Bible also equally makes it clear that the devil is also concerned with our children. Not concerned, of course, in the way that the Lord is. Not concerned in the way that we are as good moms and dads doing our best. It should not surprise any mom or dad here today to know that the devil, because it is in his nature, because it is who he is and what he does, he is still roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And he is still on this earth. Uh, and he doesn't care if you're 8 years old or 88 years old. He is after our children. And it should not surprise us to know and recognize. He is seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy our children. I've never been more serious about a message or a thought uh, or an idea than I am about this message and this thought and this idea today. The devil is after our kids. The devil is seeking to destroy our children. He is seeking to devour them. He is seeking to strip them of their morals. Uh, he is seeking to take away their value system. Uh, he is seeking to take away their purity and their innocence and, and to strip them of all that is good. The devil is after our children. Be clear, moms and dads, that the enemy of your soul is also the enemy of your children's soul. It's easy for us to imagine, wrongly in this case, uh, that the devil is only after you once you turn 18 years old. Let me tell you, he'd be a fool to do and operate that way. He is after children as young as possible. If you don't believe that, think about and study what they're teaching in public school systems in kindergarten today. You cannot look at that stuff and, 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 and inform yourself of that stuff and think that the devil's going to wait till your kid gets his driver's license before he starts messing. Let me tell you, the devil is after our children, and I'm upset about it today, and you ought to be upset about it as well. Amen. He is out to harm them. I don't apologize that I have a burden today for our kids because the devil is out to hurt them. The devil is out to confuse them. The devil is out to, to get them. And the devil wants for your children and my children to spend eternity in hell with 
him. And he is out to destroy them as completely and as early as soon as he possibly can. That has always been his goal. That has always been his purpose regarding our children. And I just want to preach a few minutes today on some examples that have come across my path, not just this last few weeks or the beginning of this month, uh, which you'll hear about in a few moments, uh, but throughout Scripture, and there's so many other Scriptures, I could tell you about the millions of lives who have been lost to abortion. So many things we could talk about, but for time's sake, uh, I want to I want to focus in on a few times to make my point clear today that they are coming after our children. In Exodus chapter number one, if you want to turn there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. Exodus chapter one and verse number six, the Bible says, "Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph." So you have to understand Joseph has died and and his children have died. And the memory of Joseph saving Egypt from the famine, that has died. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed or grew exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, the Egyptians, behold, The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them or or surreptitiously or or in a conniving way. Let's, Let's outsmart these people because they are more and they are mightier, stronger than we are. He says this to them. He let's deal wisely with them lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war... They join also our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. So there's a new Pharaoh on the throne. He doesn't remember Joseph. He has forgotten the stories of Egypt's history, how Egypt was saved by the hand of God, amen, through, through, uh, through Joseph and, and through all the things, that the dreams that he was able to, to work out and figure out and then do something about. And you'll read throughout Exodus chapter 1 that the, the Pharaoh, he goes to the midwives. He goes to the head nurse, if you would, at the hospital. And he says something dastardly. He says something horrific. He says, when you are in the birthing center and a baby boy is born to a Hebrew mother, he says, I want you to take that child's life. Now, we're familiar with that. It's called abortion today. But back then, this was male infanticide. It still is. Infanticide is the killing of infants, the taking of the life of a child, an innocent child, vulnerable child. But, but Pharaoh... First, he says, let's, let's give them more stuff to do. Let's, let's put them to work. Let's, let's make slave labor a, a tradition around Egypt. They're going to build things for us for free. But that did not work. Putting more things upon them did not work. 
They only grew stronger and stronger, Exodus 1 says, until he gets to the midwives and he says, now I want you to take these baby boys and take their lives from them. But you'll read in Exodus 1 that the midwives refused to do that. He calls them in the office and he says, why are you do not doing what I told you to do? And they have the excuse and say, well, these Hebrew women are a little different than Egyptian women. We can't, we, they, they're popping babies out quick. It's like Pez dispensers, you know what I mean? They're just, we don't have time to do it. They were coming up with an excuse. And then Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh, he comes up with a different plan. And he says this in verse 22, the last verse of chapter 1. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And so this evil, this godless tyrant that is not aware of the history of his, of his nation and the people of God and them helping the nation of Egypt, he, he demands male infanticide. He tells everybody in the public, he says, anybody can go to your Hebrew neighbor and take their baby boys and throw them into the Nile River because they're coming after our children. And the crocodiles of the Nile feasted, no doubt, because this order, this edict went out from the Pharaoh of all Egypt that said every baby boy is to be destroyed. And that is when we find Moses floating by in a homemade tub, if you would. And you know the rest of the story. God allowed Pharaoh's daughter. You read about this, and this is not in my notes, but it just comes to my mind. You read about Pharaoh's daughter sees a crying baby, and her heart goes out to that baby, and she takes him in as her own. I don't know what crying babies do for you. I'm not talking about your crying baby. I'm talking about somebody else's crying baby. Has anybody ever been at Denny's and a baby's screaming and squalling over there and you stopped what you were doing and left your meal and said, oh, my goodness, my heart just goes pitter-patter every time I see a strange baby crying. Let me please hold that baby and you go ahead and enjoy your meal. That's not normal, folks. Or maybe I'm not normal. I don't know. I've, I've never felt that way. My paternal instincts had never turned on for a stranger's child that is screaming. Now, if the kid's looking beautiful in a 60-year-old dress, almost 60-year-old dress. That's one thing. But Moses is screaming and squalling, and Pharaoh's daughter says, oh, what a cutie. God used the situation and turned it around. And, of course, Moses was instrumental in delivering the people of God. But be clear from the story that the new Pharaoh was coming after their children. Five times in the book of Leviticus, there is a reference to the Canaanite God by the name of Molech, sometimes pronounced Molech. But however you pronounce it, this was a pagan deity that you'll see on the screen, one, one variation of him, one, one characterization of this pagan God. In the book of Leviticus, there are five references to this pagan God of Molech. Molech, this Canaanite God, he is described as a, as a humanoid, I guess, if you would. His lower body being that of a man, but his head being that of a bull with horns. That is how Moloch is typically depicted in history. But what is very clear about Moloch is his arms are always reaching out, as you see in this depiction. 
whether they're raised or whether they're stretched out reaching. Moloch, as a pagan idol, is always seen as reaching out. And always underneath his arms that are outstretched, always underneath those arms, you will always find fire. You will always find burning flames that are being stoked by the false prophets of Moloch that are serving him in their capacity as the priests of Moloch. The name Moloch, and please hear me today, the name Moloch means present, gift, or sacrifice. It's especially chilling, and it takes on a whole new level of, 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 of chill, if you would. Not in a hip sense, not in a good way, but something that is so horrific, something that is horrendous. But it takes on his name, Moloch, of gift and present or sacrifice when you understand that the Canaanite people for, for a long time had the practice of offering their children as a sacrifice to the outstretched arms of their God, God by the name of Moloch, and forcing their children at a very young age to pass over the fire, as they called it, or to pass through the fire and to become not a living sacrifice like Romans 12 calls upon us to do, but to become a burnt sacrifice, an ultimate offering of flesh and life over to evil and death at the arms and the hands of Moloch. Bible scholars tell us that there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and we'll hear about this same valley in a moment, but there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, or son of Hinnom, there just outside the walls of Jerusalem and Israel, Bible scholars tell us they've unearthed, archaeologists have unearthed, uh, a massive, massive statue of this God called Molech that was there. And they say when they've done the digging and the excavation, and of course found thousands of bones and, and pieces of bones from those offerings of children. They tell us that there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom at this massive Molech statue that there were seven chambers, seven different areas that had access into this idol and into the place where he was. And according to the quality of the offering that you were sacrificing, depending on what you were willing to pay and give to Molech would depend on how close to Molech you could get. They tell us that there in the valley of Ben-Hinnom at this massive idol of Molech in these seven chambers that if you came with what is a relatively cheap sacrifice of a bird that you could bring a bird and that would be a suitable offering but you were only allowed to enter into the first chamber of Moloch no further. A goat would get you into chamber number two. A sheep would get you into chamber number three. A calf would get you into chamber number four. A full-grown cow would get you all the way to chamber number five. And an oxen, powerful beast, was certainly used in this agrarian society for work, for production, 
to make a living. But if somebody were to offer a full-grown oxen, you could get all the way to chamber number six. But for those who brought the greatest sacrifice, their child, for those who were willing to not go the cheap route of a bird, not go the mediocre route of a calf or even a cow, but for those moms and dads who were willing to go all the way and sacrifice their own children, they could enter into the seventh chamber. And historians and Bible scholars tell us that entering into that seven innermost chamber, you could go and you could kiss Moloch. You could kiss that idol God that stood with open arms before you. Just before the priests of Moloch would offer your children as a sacrificial offering. I'm trying to be careful, but I want to be clear today. That the sounds of drums and chanting were perfectly timed to drown out any other noise that was made at that time. So that moms and dads could enter into that seventh inner sanctum. Could go and kiss Moloch and not have any distractions from their sacrificed children. That they could be happy. That they would not have regrets. That they would not change their minds. That the priests on the drums with their chanting and their instrumentation on the drums, the banging of the drums would make sure that no other noise could be heard. You say, but pastor, that's just a crazy pagan practice. That's, that's only what those crazy Canaanite people did, right? I wish that were true. But the truth is that God's people started being influenced by their pagan neighbors. Let me say that again. God's people, chosen people, started being influenced by the Canaanites around them. And the children of God started offering their children to Moloch. Blessed, provided for, people of the almighty one true living God saying, I want to kiss Moloch. I want to get all the way to the seventh chamber. I am willing to go all the way and offer my child. It was a pagan practice, of course. It was strictly forbidden by God. In Leviticus 18 and 21, he says this. God says, and thou shalt not let any of thy seed, your children, pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. God says, look it. You cannot do this. You are profaning my name. You are degrading who you are as the chosen people of God. God says, I am the Lord. The statue that is destroying your family is just that and nothing more. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2 to 3, God says again, 
thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, whosoever he be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel that giveth any of his seed or children unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. God says if you are going to offer your child to Molech, the rest of the godly people around you are going to put you to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. God said, I will set my face against that man that goes and offers his children to Molech. And I will cut him off from among his people because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. God commanded his people not to offer their children as a pagan offering to Molech. But the devil has always been after children and it's astounding when you read 2nd Kings chapter 16 verse 2 to 3 when it speaks of King Ahaz of Judah the king himself in 2nd Kings 16 2 and 3 says Ahaz made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen and he was not alone Second Chronicles 33 and 6, King Manasseh of Judah, the Bible says, caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. We just talked about that giant Molech statue in the valley of Ben-Hinnom or the son of Hinnom. So th- wrap your mind around this. A king of Judah, a man Chosen, multiple men chosen to be the head of God's chosen people. Making a decision. We want to go all the way to the seventh chamber. We want the chance to kiss Moloch. We want the chance to get into that inner sanctum of a pagan deity. And we're willing to offer our children as the price of our entrance to the seventh chamber. Why? Because they are coming after our children. As we all stand today, earlier this month, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir course, they made headlines When a song, maybe some of you read about it, a song they performed went viral and it sparked outrage as it should have. One choir member, I can't read all the lyrics, but one choir member sings a solo at the very beginning of the song. And I'm quoting to you the lyrics of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Quote, you think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. And then the full choir sings, quote, 
You can keep them from disco. Warn about San Francisco. Make them wear pleated pants. We don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. The gay agenda is coming home. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children, for your children. Next verse says, your children will care about fairness and justice for others. Your children will work to convert all their sisters and brothers. Then soon, we're almost certain, your kids will start converting you. The gay agenda is coming home. The gay agenda is here. But you don't have to worry because there's nothing wrong with standing by our side. Get on board in a hurry because the world always needs a bit more pride. We'll convert your children. Then we'll turn to you. We're coming for your children. We're coming for them. The devil is coming after our children. The devil is coming after our sons, our daughters. He's not going to wait till they turn 18. He's not going to wait till they graduate from high school. He's not going to wait until they get a driver's license. He's coming after them to destroy, to confuse, to hurt, to strip away all morals, to strip away all values, to take away, Brother JV, as you intimated today during worship, apostolic identity, to strip all that away. The devil is after our children. And you know what that ought to do? That ought to shake us up sufficiently that we're willing to stand up and do something about it. Come on, it ought to wake us up. It ought to shake us today. I want the Dodies, the Bicenas, if they would come. I'm almost done. We're going to have them come here to the front if they would. I wonder if any other parents, moms and dads, especially those with younger children, anyone else would like to join us around the front. I want to preach to you today about this burden in my heart. When I read the San Francisco Gay Men's Course, the blatant, the overt, the shocking to many implications that we're coming for your children. I realize as you connect the dots and you realize that Moloch has arms stretched out wide. That the systems of this world, pagan, perverted, corrupt though they are, is reaching for our children. I began to think about, and I want you to think about, especially you moms and dads today, the fires that are burning from Hollywood, reaching out for our children. The fires, critical race theory, reaching 
for our children. The fires of social media, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, reaching for our children. The public school system, and I could go into graphic detail and I won't, where what they are teaching is abhorrent at any level, including college level. But our kindergartners, they say, must learn about these things so they can be well-adjusted children. The peer pressure as the arms of Moloch reach out and invite us to offer our children and sacrifice them on the fires that burn brightly. The fires of gender confusion and gender fluidity as Moloch reaches for our children. They're all burning brightly. These fires and so many more that I could name. Waiting, waiting for our kids to be sacrificed on their altars. And to imagine and to understand that there are people of God, people of God wanting to kiss Moloch. People of God that Moloch's arms outstretched somehow is inviting, somehow is attractive to them. They are after our children. But there is an answer today. <laughs> There's always an answer when it comes to God and the things of God. And I want to read the answer to you today. The answer is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4. Oh, Hear, O Israel, yes. the Lord our God is one Lord. You better get truth in your heart. You better get truth down in your spirit. You better get that love for the doctrine down deep in your kid's soul. Otherwise, the confusion of Molech's outstretched arms will reach out and grab our kids. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O family. Hear, Gonzalez family. Hear, Doty family. Hear Davis family. Hear Merfor family. Hear Cruz family. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Let me tell you, the answer is a love for God that is not superficial, that is not shallow. But it's a love for God that goes so deep. It's all my heart. It's all my soul. It's all my might. It's not serving God, Kyle and Bethany, haphazardly. It's not giving in and saying, well, I'll go to church on Sunday, but I want to do things my way the rest of the week. It's loving the Lord with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You got to get it out of your head and into your heart. You can quote dozens of scriptures, but if it's not in your heart, it's got to get down in your heart. And here's the answer to the outstretched arms of Moloch. And thou shalt teach them diligently, diligently 
carefully, passionately. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. I read about the San Francisco course. <laughs> when I read those lyrics, we're coming for your children. We're coming for them. Blatant, overt, obvious. Brother Bicena, it just it was just a week and a half ago. I read that and my heart was just smote. My youngest will be 17 in a few months. But even my kids who are older are not immune to the arms of Molech. But I thought of some of the kids in our church, young, vulnerable, innocent, and I realized they're coming for our children. It's scary. It's alarming. It's horrific. But folks, there is an answer. And here's the answer. We're dedicating little Sophie today. That's giving her to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. It's our reasonable service. So we're dedicating this little baby to the Lord. But, but we're doing more than that. We're going to diligently, diligently, diligently... with focus, with energy with anointing with wisdom we're going to teach her and we're going to talk about the ways of God when we're standing up, when we're lying down when we walk into the house, when we walk out of the house they're going to be as frontless between our eyes the Jewish people would wrap scripture literally, I've been to Israel multiple times they have phylacteries, they have scriptures dangling, it's hard to ignore something when it's dangling right in front of your eyes you know what the answer is? Don't, don't, tie, don't tie your King James Version Bible to your forehead, okay? But you know what it is? It's diligently thinking about and dwelling on and teaching our children and talking about it. Who cares who won the World Series when Moloch's arms are reaching out for our kids? Who cares about the NBA Finals? Who, who cares about somebody's ERA? Or You know, we can get so distracted with so many other things. But Molech's arms are reaching out for our children. And there will be children of God that say, I want to kiss Molech. I'm willing to make the supreme sacrifice. But not the Dodies. And not the people of this church. There is an answer. And the answer is dedicating our children and then dedicating ourselves. And recognizing, God, you deserve our best. Amen. We're going to dedicate little Sophie.